Welcome to part two of the religious deconstruction talks that I'm having with a friend of the dungeon, uh, Jacob. Um, today we're going to focus on uh, military, military evangelicalism. I don't think I said that right. Uh, and since it's uh, Valentine's Day, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about uh, how um, the faith kind of injects itself into uh, love. Um, Jacob, how are you doing today? We're good, baby. It's, uh, it's my favorite holiday. Is it? Would you, oh, would you like to talk uh, about that? I just love Valentine's Day. So that's sarcasm. Okay. I, yeah, I kind of figured. <laughs> I, yeah, no, I, I hate it. I, I'm really not that big of a fan of holidays in general. Um, this one, you know, in particular is just, just a orgy of, you know, commodity exchange blah blah um yeah i'm fortunate to have a partner that's not too into that um her oh, nice. her, her request this year is that we order a pizza which is fine with me that's fucking perfect yeah. um so do you want to i guess yeah so i i was thinking like obviously like you know since i grew up catholic and you grew up not or what what i guess like it was a non-denominational yeah non-denominational but functionally pretty much exactly everything a baptist church would be um okay okay yeah 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 i mean i just so you know there's like there's a certain impression that i have of evangelicals as having like a militant faith, um, you know, in that, and, and since we're sort of doing like militancy and love, like the, the intersection that I see, I guess, would be something like evangelizing or proselytizing, especially when it's overseas, because, you know, the mission is obviously to, grow the kingdom, which as I understand it is language that I think evangelicals would use that Catholics would not like, that's another thing too, is like, I actually, there's someone I like tangentially know who is opening a church with her husband. Um, that's an evangelical church and they use the word kingdom. And it's just like, yeah. Yeah. It, to my ears just rings so strangely because it, I guess, you know, a, like a Catholic experience of the divine or faith isn't so much, you know, structured as a king, as a godly kingdom on earth. It's, you know, through the institution of the church, um, but so I guess, but what I was going to say, I guess, about like overseas proselytization, 
you know, is that there is this sense of doing it out of love, I think, and that, um, you know, you're saving people, you're turning them away from, you know, fallen lives and sinful lives and, and bringing them into the arms of God and blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, I, w- I would say you're, I, you're, you're pretty on point about that. Um, there's, there's a couple of Bible verses that I've pulled up uh, that, that kind of, I think, define a lot of the Protestant view of that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, let me see if I can... Um, so there's, there's two ways that, that war is kind of interacted with in, in the Bible. And, you know, the, the Catholics and the Protestants are reading out of the same Bible, but, you know, we're, we're talking about the same sort of thing where, you know, you've got very modern, uh, Muslims who read the same Quran and then you've got the Mm -hmm. extremist radicals. And so there's, there's Uh a, a lot of similar things going on there where you know both these groups are kind of picking and choosing what they what they look at or don't look at and what they you know take up uh, as like a a metaphor or uh take up as you know the uh the express rule of you know what we're supposed to be doing here on earth um so let me see um i had a couple of these in tabs so yeah, there's there's two ways that war is talked about, and Protestants take both of them very seriously. Uh, so Ephesians six twelve would be a good one. Uh, so uh, that says, "For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heaven in the heavenly places." Um, so that's that's where you're talking about that that proselytizing sort of thing is. You know, uh, the the understanding that we're not just fighting against, you know, man versus man or anything like that. It's it's uh, there's there's a greater war for the soul going on. And yeah, right. you know, in, in order to uh, to save these people, it, it necessitates that you, you know, preach the gospel to them and tell them that, you know, uh, another thing that, you know, since we're talking about both militarization and love is, you know, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So, you know, you're you're bringing this love to them um, and uh, you do it in a very warlike manner where you where you're trying to root out some kind of great cosmic evil, as it says, you know. Yeah. Um, so. That's that's one of the ways that that war is talked about, and then there's a lot of like very real physical war that's talked about. Um, let's see, and then um, so you know you have the, uh, the the end times, and this is from Matthew twenty four, uh, verses three through eight. Um, so this is Jesus. Uh, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. 
So the the second way that that war is viewed by evangelicals is that, um, you know, things like Iraq and Afghanistan are necessary because you know they're they're a part of this process of seeing us through to the end times, and so yeah. it's not wrong for us to participate in that because you know this this is something that uh, is ordained by by God. Um, and sure, you know there there was a. A uh, very troubling uh, uh, leak. The the leak wasn't troubling, uh, but what was leaked was troubling. Um, the the Air Force had this training program for for its uh, like nuclear missile operators, and uh-huh. the, the training program was essentially you know a bunch of uh, verses like this, uh, basically saying, hey, if you have to push the big red button, you know this is all fine because this is what's supposed to happen. And the, the end times are, are unavoidable and also, yeah. you know, part of God's plan. So you're just, you know, unfortunately part of God's plan that's going to hurt you internally probably a lot. But, you know, it's, it's something that you have to do. Yeah. Well, and then, I mean, like, even in terms of, like, foreign policy, you know, like, obviously Israel is the, you know, hot topic there, um, especially you know, I don't, well, so I guess I don't know so much about, um, why or what would make wars in the Middle East particularly palatable or good other than bringing greater control over Israel, Palestine, um, and like Armageddon, like Mm -hmm. in a very real, like, like the batshit prophecy for suite of prophecies that that certain people believe and you know and those people are elected officials unelected officials like appointees you know like right so so you know that that goes into the the zionist aspect of all of this um and that's that's also very important in a lot of evangelical circles uh because the the israelites are the chosen people of god um but it's it's also recognized that the israelites won't make it to heaven because they don't believe in jesus Um, right but we we do have to preserve the israelites because they're the chosen people of god and you know before this gets misconstrued into like being an anti-jewish thing that i'm saying it's it's not anti-jewish so much as it's just like um like a weird technicality sort of thing uh, well, it's the, yeah, I mean, it's the, what these people believe. And right. it's, if anything, it's the prophecy itself that's anti Semitic because essentially what these people believe is that um, Jews are pretty much like cannon fodder in the end times where they die, like a set number of them, I think. Yeah, um, there's there's two hundred thousand or something like that will we'll actually make it to, to heaven. Yeah. It's yeah, and that's, well, and that's then, what the uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses believe is like their entire like faith structure is that only two hundred thousand people are going to make it to heaven. Uh, so that's why yeah. it's pretty funny when they try to like go around and and recruit people into and pro- yeah right yeah and and it's Jehovah's like, Witnesses are like even more like about the kingdom of God like all of their yeah. uh, all of their their temples churches whatever you want to call them are are called kingdom halls and stuff right, like that yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, so I guess maybe we can back up a little bit to, well, cause, so I'm curious, I guess what, 
up what your upbringing like yeah in terms of like you know leading through upbringing to military service to now like what are the through lines that you i guess saw or have seen that kind of to you are like okay like i can i can attribute this to these people's belief systems if that makes you know what i mean no no no, yeah no um so you know growing growing up in the church uh you know there's there's usually two kind of services um in -hmm. protestant churches i think this is much different than catholic church in which like everybody just kind of attends the same uh sermon i guess so to speak or same uh oh yeah yeah definitely so when and, and this is true for every protestant church i've been to um except maybe like one or two small ones where they didn't really have the facilities for this sort of thing. But there's always a, a point where, you know, you have the worship service uh, where you sing songs and stuff. And then at a certain point, there's uh, there's like a breakage where the kids go off to like a daycare sort of thing um, uh-huh. where, where, you know, there's like child oriented uh, uh, teachings and then, you know, the, the adults stay behind in the main hall and, and uh, get a more, um, adult version of the Bible read to them sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. Different topics, you know, topics that wouldn't maybe be appropriate for children, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> like, it, one thing, just kind of as an aside, and since we're talking about love, uh, is is uh, how often uh, Protestant pastors get involved in, like, people's sex lives like not yeah not directly but you know well sometimes directly like, too but also just like the the preaching counseling. about like what your sex life should be like and and you yeah know, the the subservience of women to men and you know the the necessity to have children and and whatever and like just really weird ways that like the the sex life of people is kind of manipulated on the uh on the uh, bully pulpit i guess um so when the when the children go off to you know their their child oriented uh, teaching, um, you know a, a lot of you know it's it's like a lot of like prepackaged sort of activities sort of stuff you know coloring books uh, a little like lesson on like hey Jesus loves children and you know here's a nice story about Jesus, um, but some of some of the like recurring themes that I remember growing up were. Uh, the the armor of god which i'm sure you've mm-hmm. heard of um Mm-mm. which is like no you haven't oh, okay Mm-mm. no so so the armor of god is from uh ephesians 6 10 through uh, 10 through 20 and like i'll read that to you and, and this is something that i got read to a lot um and it's like some kind of cringy uh cosplay stuff if we're being honest yeah. Um, but uh, Ephesians six ten starts. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but the against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done it all to stand firm. 
uh, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the blessed breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with you uh, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of god um all the like attributes of the armor too are like pretty much like inoculations against doubt as well it's pretty much just like you know you're you're prepared for this this is certain this is destiny this is fate you don't you know you're girded by this uh kind of divine protection that you know you don't need to worry um yeah i mean but it's like i just i don't I also just don't know like it's just so foreign to me that that it would be what you what you know a, a church is trying to like inculcate in its youth well that's is, why i think there's there's so much more of a militant aspect to evangelicalism because you know you, you're telling me that you've never heard of these verses before uh, having you know been in catholic church as, as a child and yeah and like, this, this was like this was something that was beaten to my head like repeatedly is is the armor of mm-hmm. god and like you know we we would make little little play armor pieces and, and right. stuff in in these uh in these uh little like child daycare um services um and you know that that the that has an effect i think in because uh, you know kids kids like to run around and they like to you know play war or whatever where they've got a little stick gun yeah. and, and they're shooting right. each other and whatnot um but when you also make it a part of your religion or your faith that you know you're supposed to be a warrior and you're supposed to have you know this this militant regimented aspect of your life and there, there's another verse that i was going to bring up that uh talks a lot about authority and i think it's kind of a a troubling um troubling sort of thing to teach people uh just as somebody who's not really pro-authority and this is uh romans 13 1 through 7 and this is another one that uh not not nearly as often as as the armor of god stuff but this was also kind of you know drilled into us uh in, in the churches that I went to. Um, so Romans 13, one through seven, uh, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who, res- who resist will incur judgment for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. Uh, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subject subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Uh, for this, because of, or for because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Uh, pay to 
all what is owed to them, taxes to whom the taxes are owed, revenue to whom the revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So, you know, when, when you're told that, you know, authorities are always right and they're always exacting, you know, the will of God in their, in their actions because God has appointed them. um, It's, it's hard to, you know, when, when that's your, your basis of understanding, it's hard to resist the idea that George Bush is in, uh, you know, bringing us into a war with Iraq for the wrong reason. Um, Right. And, and when you couple that with all the religious aspects of it and the, the, uh, and I don't know how strong this is in Catholicism, but for evangelicals, um, you know, uh, Islam is seen as, as kind of a, a perversion of doctrine at the very least, or an evil faith, uh, in most circles. And so, yeah. you know, it's, it's not, and, and it's just like another version of the crusades where, you know, we're, yeah, for sure. In, in not only like a, a a war for our nation that is just, but also a holy war for our faith. Yeah. Well, and even... Yeah, I mean, well, so the Crusades are interesting. There are a couple of different things that I was going to go through. So one, the verse, you know, what you pointed out, you know, it essentially just says, okay, all all officials are, are, you know, they might be humanly appointed, but are also like divinely kind of, um, that's like the idea that God works in in mysterious ways. So, you know, he, he may have been voted in, but you know, God was pulling the strings. Yeah. Well, but it's also like, you can't, you can't gainsay authority because it is, you know, if someone wields authority, it is by God's approval. Yeah. Um, which also kind of, you know, I think would make someone desirous of power, which I think is wrong. I think, you know, that's kind of the, the distinction between someone who's like, you know, a good or bad politician, which, you know, I'm sure plenty of people say, well, like good politicians, what, but, you know, someone who is truly enamored of power um, or someone who, you know, is not, but knows how to wield power or that power must be wielded in order to, you know, effectuate positive change. Um, But then even like, you know, there has been a lot of crusading language, I think, with the war on terror, obviously, yeah. or there is a sensibility of, you know, either it's the Crusades, it's the Clash of Civilizations, whatever, but, you know, the fact of the matter is the historical Crusades and what we see now in terms of American foreign policy in the Middle East is that, you know, whether or not there's this kind of like, religious fervor kind of laminated onto military action the the sort of brass tacks of it isn't really much in to do with religion it is truly about like flow of resources and that's the that's true of you know um securing oil it's true of you know securing um 
the temple in the historical crusades it's it's not really to chalk it up wholly to religious belief is is sort of a, a misguided um attempt to make sense of what are like pretty complicated and like kind of like multifaceted right. um yeah <clears throat> no I, I agree completely um but that's you know that's how you get somebody who's 18 to to join up um right uh and and fun, you know and, and it's the same thing with you know the, the the radical islam where you know you you convince somebody that they need to you know blow themselves up for you know their their version of the side of the holy war um and and you know you're you're basically doing the same thing with any you know 18 year old kid that decides to to join the military um 20 years old in my case but you know at this point you know i was fully ready and invested to to die for this yeah. cause because i thought you know not not only was it a just war that we're fighting because saddam hussein is evil and let's not say that saddam hussein was good but um i think what we've done over uh, in iraq is basically make a worse situation um different topic for a different day uh but you know I was I was fully committed to this idea that uh, you know this this was a just war and that there were, there was a holy war aspect to it that uh, that needed to be fought and you know there there was a lot of stuff going around um back in kind of the earlier days when I was in uh, I joined in 2008 so the war had been going on for a while already but you know a lot of the a lot of the more veteran guys you know were calling themselves like infidels and stuff like that and you know because yeah. you know the, the difference of religion there obviously um so yeah i mean there, there's there's a lot of interplay between you know obviously the the reasons we went to war are, are more geopolitical and, and resource-based uh than you know a lot of people that are actually fighting the war understand or, or know uh -huh. yeah well so like did your would was your family at the time where they like gung-ho supportive absolutely yeah and like not only of your involvement but of military yeah so they, they weren't they weren't happy that i joined the military because they were you know worried that i would die uh but, right but you know it wasn't it wasn't that they thought i was doing a bad thing or anything like that they were they were fully supportive of the war and, and i remember you know, making the argument to my, my mother when I joined up that like, mom, you can't like, on the one hand, say that this is a good war and that we need to be involved with and also get mad because I joined, like somebody has got to fight right. the war. Right. And you yeah, know, I'm an able-bodied young man with, with, you know, all these, this, this faith that I have, you know, this is, so there, there was the period where I kind of fell away from faith and then, you know, I got drugged back into it by like being shamed by the entire church sort of thing. And so this was when I was like back in kind of involved in the church um, uh, was when I joined again. So, you know, I, I didn't quite have the same type of faith that I did when I was younger, but I still, you know, believed uh, um, more or less in, in uh, the same things. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I I remember making that argument to her and, uh, you know, that didn't necessarily calm her down, but it, I think it helped her understand. And so, you know, that's, that's yeah. just another way in which the faith was used to kind of 
<laughs> bully this position in of of the the war being okay and good. Yeah, and did you run into much explicit faith um, in? Especially, like, I guess what I'm mostly interested in would be, like, using faith in instruction, not so much, like, the day-to-day beliefs of, you know, a given service member, like, that isn't terribly interesting, but, you know, like, you mentioned that the leak of, um, you know, convincing these people to do things, like, what was that, like, sort of a, a daily or frequent thing? in your Um, like instruction yeah i wouldn't say that it was necessarily daily i know Mm -hmm. i know that previous iterations of because you know boot camp changes over time um sure you know if if you if you watch something like full metal jacket um back Mm -hmm. then in the vietnam war drill instructors were allowed to beat the shit out of you if they felt it was necessary uh that doesn't quite happen anymore and so you know there's also been kind of a culture shift in America where, where America has become a little bit more secularized. So it's not quite as, uh, quite as obvious sometimes, but, um, you know, one, one of the things is there's, there's a drill movement. So, you know, when you're marching around and you're receiving all these orders, you know, left, right, left, uh, you know, stand in place, stand at a parade rest or stand at attention, whatever, uh, there, there's a drill movement um, where if the drill instructor says, let us pray, you're like immediately supposed to bow your head and the chaplain will then, you know, go into a prayer. So there, there, uh-huh. there is some some regimented kind of drilled into you sort of things. And then the, the other thing is that <clears throat> Sundays were basically the only free day in boot camp uh, uh-huh. to, to kind of do anything that wasn't training related. Um, and there was always the option to go to church and church, especially in, in boot camp, is where, you know, it was, it was already bad kind of growing up with all this militant sort of stuff in just a regular church. But when you go to church in boot camp, that's like all it is. Yeah. Like yeah. Talking for sure. about, you know, how, how you're a warrior for Christ and, you know, uh, put on the full armor of God because it's the only thing that's going to save you in battle and, yeah pray pray for the souls of your enemies but understand that you know you you have to annihilate them regardless of whether or not you love them uh sort of stuff um so that was that was especially and and even to me as somebody who had faith i was like man this is kind of creepy you know right yeah this is is like a step too far Well, it's all like, I mean, that kind of preaching combined with the regimented lifestyle, but then also just kind of the the drilling and the automatic, like, bodily yeah, responses sure. to orders, you know, like, it, absolutely. there's just like a, a feedback loop almost of obedience mm-hmm. that I think obviously, like, something like having that sort of religious instruction would almost prime you for, I think probably. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, but it's, it's also like, it's kind of like, I just, I, I shudder to think of the religious, like the person of deep religious conviction who 
preaches that gospel in the sense that like I just I despite my like kind of dis both disregard and disdain for people who not all religious people but people who especially use it to kind of pursue control over other people but like I have an idea of religious people that's sort of like hopeful that you know they're not bad people and so it's like it's it's particularly like loathsome and disgusting to me to think that you could have someone in a pulpit saying like you know you're a warrior for christ go kill the muslim dogs etc etc especially when they're doing it in the context of the military um since you're obviously also being trained and given the means to actually go out and do that and it's not so much like rhetoric it's it's marching orders of like literally yeah go kill these people um yeah and i would say you know that's that's one of the the things that i think is uh you know both about the military and the the church is that you know you take people who have good intentions and maybe they just don't understand exactly what they're doing and you Mm -hmm. give them you know you give them exactly like you said basically marching orders um and you know this this person has been told their entire life that you know authority is there by divine mandate um you're you're supposed to be warlike in how you approach this sort of thing uh you have to go save the souls of everybody else in all the different countries that uh, that don't believe in in jesus christ and you know um anybody who you know believes in the quran is you know um horribly misled or outright evil uh, right yeah. so you know you, you have people who genuinely want to and, and i'm you know it, it it sucks because i don't have these people in my life anymore but i you know for for all the bad things i could say about the church i met some people who are just also incredibly decent human beings who were good and loving and and you know really poured their heart and soul into not only just the church but the community and and you know uh, the the unfortunate like injection of uh, of the the faith that came along with that uh notwithstanding you know they they were doing good things you know like i mm-hmm. I, I talked about how i went on a mission trip and i built an orphanage like mm-hmm. building an orphanage is a good thing um and so you know yeah. you're, you're taking people who really want to do good in the world and perverting their sense of what good is um and and this this is true for the military too you know i I didn't meet anybody in the military who, I mean, there, there were a couple of shitheads here and there, of course, but nobody joined the military just because, you know, they, they wanted to hurt the world. They thought that what right. they were doing yeah. was, you know, the right thing. And that, you know, there, there yeah. was an element of sacrificial uh, sort of act happening in all of this, you know, like, yeah, I'm putting my life on the line, but it's for, you know, a better world sort of thing. So, you know, I'm, I'm willing to make the sacrifice in order for the world to be a better place. And so you, you're taking people who have that that belief and that faith and perverting everything that, that would be good uh, into something that's necessarily harmful. Yeah. Well, and it's like what's – I mean, what's kind of crazy too is, you know, the – well, I guess there's a question then of, you know, can 
can a, can the scripture necessarily lead to um, sort of a communist politics? Because like, I guess the the reason I say this is you know, the, the people who are using Christianity are weaponizing it for radically conservative political ends. Yeah. Um, but uh, and the reason I the reason I'm thinking about this is, you know, your point that, you know, these are people who truly do want to do good in the world. They're not, it's not um, a bit, it's not, um, it's not um, underhanded. It's just that, that that goal is perverted by this kind of marriage of that intention with nutty religious beliefs um but you know it's but it's it's unfortunate to think that you have all these people who are invested in doing better and better in the world and then also you know diametrically opposed to something like a socialist politics or communist politics or whatever um yeah and and especially like and but even the the you know obviously before there was the war against Islam, there was the cold war, which itself was, you know, a holy war. It was a war against, you know, godless communists and just the complete kind of um, secular, a secular world completely like kind of stripped of its divine halo. Um, And it was like, it was an existential threat on not only, like on geopolitical um, lines, but also just the degree to which, you know, it, it takes God out of the equation. Um, yeah. So, you know, it, it kind of goes back into what I was saying earlier about how um, the, the difference between whether or not somebody can be a socialist Christian like Cornell West or like mm-hmm. a militant conservative is kind of just what you determine is you know either metaphor or you know like an actual given order um in the bible because you know jesus said plenty of troubling things about how wars are necessary but he also said a lot of things about how you know if your your neighbor doesn't have bread and you don't give him bread you're kind of a piece of shit for that you know so right um there's there's yeah and i think we talked about yeah we we talked about a little little bit last time uh and Cornell West is like the only person I can think of off the top of my head that uh, identifies himself as a socialist Christian. Uh, I can't really think of a lot yeah. of other. It, it it it's definitely a minority position in uh, the church. I would say um, there was, um, of course, her name is escaping me now, but there was a woman who I think started an organization just called the Catholic Workers or something like that. Um, and it was it was definitely a woman but yeah i mean i think it's it's far less it's it makes more sense that religion is wedded to conservative politics than not yeah, um, it's, it's easier to i think because i, I think it's know, much it's much more about like my own kind of like wish and optimism and hope that yeah. things would could be better to say oh well like how can you be 
a believer and be a reactionary. I mean, because to me, like, you know, Oh, and that's what's so, but what's so strange about evangelicals in particular, though, is their fascination with Christ and the figure of Christ. And yet, you know, to think about what that, what his actual lifestyle was, what it, it, it's just so diametrically opposed to how those people live or would think it's appropriate to live um yeah and i mean you you have all these these big names uh, like joel Osteen, um yeah ken whatever the fuck his name is um that that dude yeah, that like, looks like an actual living demon with like the crazy yeah and shit the one, the oh, one that uh, had the uh, the covid19 song thing remember yeah kenneth yeah. copeland i think yeah kenneth copeland yeah um you know you've got all these these uh what are they called? Um, prosperity, prosperity gospel uh, people, um, and it's and it's like, you know that that was one of my my big falling outs with the church was was people who you know were watching all these prosperity gospel preachers, and it's like you know that like Jesus said it's it's harder for a rich man to enter heaven than a camel through the eye of a needle, right? And, yeah, and, you know that so. Yeah, there's 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 a strong case to be made that that Jesus was in some ways a communist. Um, I don't think he believed in like a state-run communism or anything like that. If he was real in the first place, let's go ahead and get that aside. Uh, but according to you know what he says in the Bible or what he supposedly says uh, and is recorded right. in the Bible. Um, there's there's a strong case to be made that he believed in some kind of Christian commune society uh, that would yeah. you know take care of its own and and use its resources as a as a net benefit to everybody rather than you know wealth hoarding uh, for the individual. Yeah, which I mean, but and again, like I just I think we talked a little bit last time about just kind of like the the colonial context of jesus like the historical jesus and you know like of course it makes it, it makes complete sense but this is also a, a note that is missed by evangelicals is that the bible is a historical text because they don't read that and they they don't read anything about they wouldn't be inclined to read anything about the romans interactions with israel and say okay this is this is actually referring to like actual material real historical events and processes it's they would go straight to this is a metaphor yeah for which is a mistake and because i think if you do read if you were inclined to read it historically and say okay here's a figurehead of a movement who is trying to wrest control and autonomy from this colonial power and, and, you know, give it, give a group of people, you know, self-determination autonomy. It, it makes more sense to think, okay, yeah, of course this guy is, uh, you know, sort of campaigning against wealth hoarding because the people who become wealthier are those who ally themselves with 
this yeah. colonial power sure. um, who ally themselves with power itself. And, you know, I guess, yeah, you know, it's a little bit of just no one wants to see themselves as the villain. And I think that that is, it, I, there, people get painted into corners thought process wise where, you know, um, it doesn't, they're, 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 people cannot think themselves out of, okay, I should listen to fucking Kenneth Copeland, who's wealthy. Well, one, there's an American cult of wealth. There's an American disposition to listen to a certain, um, you know, kind of, heroization heroism of of the wealthy you know like our our first rock stars and saints were you know robber baron capitalists um and now who themselves use a lot of weird religious shit you know i mean like that yeah. yeah i don't know there's there's all sorts of shit to talk about there but like yeah i mean like of course someone's gonna listen to kenneth copeland because you know he's telling them he's giving them a certain kind of comfort in terms of his actual religious teachings. But then also, you know, if part of the theology is if someone is wealthy, then they must be godly. Then, yeah, it's, it's you know, because they have some kind of moral strength, some kind of divine strength yeah, that's allowed yeah. them to become wealthy because, because they, they've done so much good or, or they are so good that they, they, succeed in this way right yeah when well, i mean they and they pretty nakedly say that as well yeah. i mean the, uh, the, the, the opens of the world that's, that's part of like the the cycle of reasoning it's it's a very circular logic where um you know this this very obscenely rich person who owns a private jet is talking to a poor person and saying hey i have all this money because i am morally righteous and you know, if, if you don't have a lot of money, it's because you have some kind of, of failure in, in your your faith or your your righteousness. Um, so yeah. you know, if you were more righteous, and one of the, the reasons that you know, or one of the ways that you become righteous is by you know giving ten percent of the church, which is mean. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So it just kind yeah. of cycles give me, give on me itself, more. right? Yeah. Yeah, you gotta you gotta tithe to you gotta. It's like. <clears throat> I guess somehow that righteousness rubs off on you by giving people money. Um, yep. And, and, you know, the, there's, there's a very abusive way that, you know, the, the story about the poor woman who gives her one shekel, but that's like all of her, all of her worldly wealth versus all the rich men who are only giving like just a little bit. Um, yeah. You know, that that's kind of used in an abusive way in the church where it's like, Hey, look, if, if this poor person, who was who was the most morally righteous out of any of them can give away all of her stuff then you can too um, yeah and then that's how you right yeah exactly God, yeah. you know yeah well and it's even like it what's kind of odd about the prosperity gospel especially is you know part of what was at issue in the reformation was indulgences mm -hmm. you know and it's like paying paying to have your sins washed clear yeah it's like yeah, which it, what's the difference, you know? It, the, it's, but but again, it's the fact that there is no sort of like historical sensibility or historical consciousness. It's just well, 
this guy's rich. If you're rich, you're godly. I'm going to give him my money. And that's, that's, that's kind of the, the, the grift there. That's, that's basically the entire thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, with that aspect of it anyways. Um, we're, yeah. we're reaching about 50 minutes and we were talking about how we've kind of wanted to keep these shorter. So I don't know yeah. if you have any final thoughts that uh, you want to leave with. Um, no, I mean, you know, tithe, say your prayers, eat your green <laughs> <Yeah>. vegetables. <laughs> We just, we just spent 40 minutes talking about how all this is harmful. So let's, let's end it. Yeah. On. Go ahead and do all that though. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thanks again for your time. Um, uh, I will be uploading this shortly. And, uh, this is again, part two of, a however many part series we end up doing. I think these are fun, uh, talks. So I know that a, a couple of, uh, now reformed Christian friends of mine, um, have enjoyed these so or enjoyed the the last one that we did so um hopefully it's helpful to somebody um if not then it's just a fun conversation we're having so yeah all right well thank you very much and have a good rest of your day peace happy valentine's day yeah same to you